Alright, if you got your lift notes, you can get those out. Bibles, we will be in Matthew 28 and then the book of Revelation. So, decided to go part two. Last week we talked about the end of this age. Some big picture points of teaching about the end times, of Jesus' teaching about the end times. Where does Jesus put our focus? And so I encourage you to listen to last week's message. You can go on our website and find that. Um, if you weren't here, because this is a part two. But essentially what we saw in a very lengthy teaching of, from Jesus, Matthew 24 and 25, so that's two chapters in a 28-chapter book that are all about the end of this age, and Jesus shares a lot. It's not the only place he talks about the end of this age or the end times, but it's a very significant chunk, and he gives us some very clear points of focus. Last week, what we saw was Jesus encouraged us to don't get swept up in alarmist thinking, but rather just keep enduring in your walk with me. The, the literal Greek word from Matthew 24, 42, I believe, is you take a stand, that endurance there. It's not the perseverance word that's common in the New Testament. It's a take, your, take a stand. So Jesus says, yeah, things are gonna be hard, but take a stand for me. Endure to the end. Take a stand in your walk and do your job of making disciples. He says, proclaim it to the ends of the earth. He also goes on to then tell a number of parables that say, be awake and be ready. Be awake to the spiritual reality that the king of kings is coming to consummate his eternal kingdom. That's where we let the reality of eternity that he has put in our hearts, we let that direct our life. Because if eternity is real, that does change everything for now. Are we living for eternity, investing for eternity? And that's where Jesus puts the other emphasis. When he says, be ready, then he interestingly goes on to tell several uh, parables about stewardship. Under be ready for, for Jesus to return. So steward life now well. Most kind of significantly right in the smack dab middle of all of that is the parable of the talents. So when you think end times teaching from Jesus, do you think parable of the talents where Jesus teaches us to invest life well now? Because that's what Jesus does. So his idea of being ready is that we have eternity in mind and we steward with faithfulness and wisdom everything God has given us now for kingdom influence that echoes into eternity. Part of that underlying context from last week that we gotta be honest about is sometimes here in, in, in the United States, there is a mindset that is not healthy. And it's anytime we see something bad, we, we oh, the world's just gonna get worse, the world's ending soon, so we can just disengage and look for that escape pod, like push the button, escape. And what we wanna look at today and dig a little deeper is that any theology, we're gonna get into Matthew 28 and Revelation and, and, and kind of put a button on these two weeks with this idea here that any theology of the end times that results in a disengaged, defeated, or decommissioned Christian is unbiblical and even against the teachings of Christ and his word. We are absolutely not decommissioned. There is nothing that says, oh man, things are gonna get hard, so disengage. I wanna go to the Great Commission where it shows that we are not decommissioned, we are actually, actually commissioned 
to be with Jesus to the very end. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we looked at it last week a little bit, but I wanna dig a little deeper here. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In the book of Matthew, that phrase that Jesus ends the Great Commission with has, very, has a, a, a very specific meaning. The end of the age is specifically referring to the return of Christ and the con consummation of his kingdom, what we might now call the end times. We saw it last week in Matthew 24, verse 3, where his disciples come and they say, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That's right at the beginning of Matthew 24. And that question from the disciples is what launches Jesus into his two chapters of explanation about the end times, about where he wants them to put their focus. And then so back to Matthew 28, interestingly and importantly, Jesus uses their phrase about the end of the age, the end of times, he uses the phrase the disciples use in his great commission, right there at the end of the great commission. I will be with you to the very end of the age. So Jesus is promising, this is so huge, he's promising that he is with us until the very end of this age precisely so that we can continue in the great commission of making disciples to all nations. In other words, the great commission is our assignment from Jesus until the very moment that he returns. He put it right in there. He says, hey, this is your great commission. This is your job. You go make disciples of all nations. I've, I have all the authority. I'm giving it to you. And I will be with you till the very end of the age, right until that moment I come back. I will be with you in order that the point of him being with us is he's the power source of being able to fulfill the great commission. So he's with us as the power source. But how long is he with us? Well, until things get really hard and dark and scary in the world, then I'm gonna leave you, stop the commission, just wait for me to come back. Disengage and hope for your escape pod. I mean, it is literally, utterly the exact opposite of the last words of Jesus. He says, here's your commission and you fight the good fight and I'm with you so that you can fight the good fight up until that very last second when the trumpet sounds and the lightning flashes and there's no doubt who the king of kings is because I'm back. And so it's kind of like this smooth transition. He's never left us. We're with him. He's with us till the very end until bam, he makes it really clear who's in charge. But what I see in that so clearly is there is no place whatsoever in any Christian theology to decommission yourself or anyone else from the Great Commission, which Jesus says is your job until the very last second when I come back. So any action plan or lack thereof, any de-action plan 
for the end times that's in opposition to the Great Commission needs to be reevaluated, then tossed in the garbage. All right, moving on. Let's go to Revelation now. Revelation chapter 12. Verses 7 to 12. Now a war arose in heaven. Sorry, I just have verses 10 to 11 up here, but we can jump back in a little bit. War arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. That's, that's a startling phrase. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels, which we now call demons, were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. First of all, this, this is one of those passages that just should make us be humble about interpreting apocalyptic literature and apocalyptic writing from Scripture is this, this little passage right here, and you expand out a few verses, it's past, present, and future all rolled into one. I mean, you read other places in the Bible, like when, when was Satan thrown down? Like he was thrown down like in eternity past, yet he's talking about that happening, and then Christ you know, has overcome through what he's done, so that's like their, you know, that's their, they lived into that reality, and then he's talking about future things, and so it's like, and that's just, this is a quick overview and not really a main point, it's like, Past, present, present, future, and long forward future <laughs> like are all like within the same sentences. So it's like, whoo, okay, a lot going on. So that's where we've got to be humble and slow about how do we walk away from here with responses from God and clear actions. And so I want to highlight a couple things. It says, in verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now salvation and the power of the kingdom are God of our God and the authority of Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, it's brethren, it's that plural Greek word, brothers and sisters, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. He's the accuser, he's the deceiver. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. There's a phrase in there that is really encouraging. And this is where it gets for that, this writing, it gets into the present tense, talking about saints, talking about brothers and sisters. So it's kind of the present tense and then the present, future, who all, all that partake of this same interaction, it becomes theirs. So that's where we come into this picture, and here it is. It says, the accuser of the brethren, of the brethren had been thrown down. They, he accuses them, Satan, day and night before God. And they, so now we're talking about the brothers and sisters of, in Christ, believers. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. 
So this is where, this is those who are, as Satan has been thrown down onto the earth, and what does other places in scripture say? That he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour, right? These are the end times Christians, but at end times, as we've seen in the book of Revelation, Jesus said these very last words of Revelation are, behold, I'm coming soon. So 2,000 years later, we've all been part of this picture now of these end time Christians that the enemy is prowling around the earth looking for people to devour, accusing people, deceiving people. But what it shows in the midst of that is that Believers, followers of Christ, need not be defeated. Rather, they, we, conquer Satan. It's right in here. Listen to this. It says, they have, this is verse 11. They, it's talking about believers, have conquered Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They have conquered Satan. That's interesting language. Notice it does not say in this passage that Jesus conquered Satan. Now, of course, he did. Before y'all, you know, get those tomatoes ready or worse. <laughs> of course, he did. Jesus is our only hope to conquer Satan. It's what we're celebrating on Easter. It's, where, it's a life, death, or resurrection. It's only Jesus who conquers Satan. But let's just read the Bible. The point here is. As Satan is roaming around the earth, he's been thrown out of heaven. The heavenly battle is over. So this is past, present, and future. This is eternity. This is, you know, this is where it gets kind of crazy. So the heavenly battle is over. Satan is defeated. There is no battle in heaven. Yet on earth, the battle's raging. Satan's running around trying to wreak havoc all over the place. But the point here is, as Satan is roaming around trying to wreak havoc on earth, who does he battle? The saints. And who conquers Satan? The saints. It's right there. They, the saints, have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So here's my point. This is the farthest thing from an end times disengaged Christian the real end times Christians are battling Satan and conquering him. So any view of the end times that does not include victory over Satan. Now, this, is, this, this comes down to individual Christians, communities of Christians, local bodies of Christians, local broader areas and churches that decide and say yes to following Jesus in this way are gonna see the victory because there's things here by the blood of the lamb, by the word of the testimony. So in the sense like, it's not just you don't sit back and do nothing and just watch Satan fall over and die. No, he's an adversary, he's prowling around, he's fighting. And if we use the proper weapons of warfare, we can see us conquer him, is what it says. Notice how the believer conquers Satan. How does the believer conquer this deceiver, this accuser who's trying to spread this filth across the whole world? It says two things right here, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So the blood of the lamb, okay, this is where Jesus is the one who ultimately conquers Satan. Of course, he is our great defense against any and all 
accusations. By the blood of the lamb, we are the spotless bride of Christ. It's all about Jesus conquering Satan. But in this passage, it's like, so take that on so that you can live into that victory right now. It doesn't have to be just in heaven. It can be right now if you choose to live into it, walk into it, put on the blood of Christ, put on the armor of God, live into the reality of who you already are in Christ, what he's done in heaven where the victory is already done. You learn to live covered in the blood of Christ, then you are spotless. Colossians 1 says it like this, that we are blameless before him without accusation. Meaning like even though... Satan is accusing us of being unworthy of heaven, unworthy of being a spotless bride, unworthy of forgiveness, unworthy of being God's beloved, unworthy of being in God's presence, and on our own strength, that's all true. Yet when covered by the blood of Christ, we are the spotless bride who is without accusation. That's what Colossians 1 says. So even though the enemy might be working overtime to accuse, when we're covered in the blood of Christ, God hears none of it. He says, I see the righteousness of my son who has covered all of them. So we need to learn to live in the blood of Christ, washed by the blood of Christ. It is the perfection of Christ that becomes our garment. We wear it. We wear him. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's the primary way that we conquer Satan. And then there's a secondary part. Very fascinating. By the word of their testimony, one of your greatest weapons in warfare against Satan so that you don't walk around feeling defeated when Satan tries to wreak havoc through deception and accusation coming at you is the word of your testimony. As you speak forth what God has done in your life, that cuts through the lies of the enemy. That cuts through the deception that he tries to bring your way and lie to you about who you are and what God's done. That cuts through the accusations that are coming away about you're not worthy of this. God wouldn't do that for you. God doesn't feel that way about you. He wouldn't do that for you. He wouldn't bless you in that way. He wouldn't forgive you in that way. He wouldn't love you in that way. He wouldn't call you in that way. Those are lies and accusations, and they come all the time. We root ourselves in the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony as we speak forth what God has done. I mean, that's in some ways, that's what we're doing on Sundays when we sing. We are singing forth the testimony of God. If we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, it's all a prayer. We're supposed to bring to mind as we see lyrics on the, on the you know, up here. And sometimes when you don't see lyrics and you just hear words, you, it's how has this happened in my life? How has God done this? How can I genuinely connect with this and make this a prayer? And so our testimony is simply the story of what God has done in your life so far. What aspects of the good news of who Jesus is and what his kingdom's all about, what aspects of those good news have you encountered? How has God, this is all kind of under, what is your testimony? What is your testimony? It's that personal story of what God's done in your life so far. It's not, oh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I got saved. If you did, that's great. That's a 
wonderful benchmark in your testimony. But if that's all you got, you are missing out. I mean, I'm, I'm celebrating 21 years of marriage this weekend. And if the only good story I have is, yeah, 21 years ago, that was a beautiful day. Well, what happened since then? Well, I'm in trouble. Your testimony is not simply one day a long, long time ago. It's the growing story of what God has done in your life so far. How has God revealed himself to you in a way that's undeniable? What has God said to you? What has he rescued you from? Don mentioned that Psalm 40. That should be one of the most precious verses there is to us. Like, it's incredible. It's the gospel in the Old Testament where it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit, set my feet on the rock, and gave me a new song to sing. In the spirit, we're all meant to be singers. We're all meant to have a song to sing because God has changed our life. It's that simple. Your testimony is what is your life now that it wouldn't be without God? What would your life be like without God? How has God transformed you? So there's some questions in there in your lift notes. That's all around testimony. And we need to put some work in to know our testimony. Why? Because it says right there in the book of Revelation that it's one of the primary weapons God's given us to conquer Satan against his deception and lies that are coming your way every day. And so when you're able to call forth your testimony, what are you doing? You're able to come against those lies and deception that are coming your way. You'd be like, yeah, right, get off me. Here's my story. No, I'm forgiven. Thank you very much. Bye. No, I'm called. Thank you very much. Bye. No, I'm one of his favorites. Actually, I think I am his favorite. Bye. Or whatever it may be. You're his favorite too. Don't worry. I had this picture real quick. Uh, last week kind of felt like it was a little prophetic word about being God's favorite right out of that awesome story of, because I kind of say that once in a while, maybe too much, about God wants to be so personal, powerful, and present in your life. You're kind of at times feeling like, man, I'm kind of your favorite, huh? Yes, you should feel that. You know that story where there's this one little sheep, he's kind of an idiot, and he wanders off, and Jesus leaves the 99 and puts all this lavish attention on one. Can you imagine how that one feels that whole ride home? Up on Jesus' shoulders, rolling back into camp. I'm on Jesus' shoulders. Y'all aren't. <laughs> I mean, he's just got to feel good. It's that one. Maybe that wasn't a prophetic word. I don't know. But it's a good picture. It's true. It's in the Bible. He calls you by name. All right, now let's get into decent, I mean, not decent, real specific Bible, Matthew 10. Excuse me, yes, Matthew 10, John 10, <laughs> 3. He calls you by name. Those are the kind of things, though, that it's, what's your testimony? When has God called you by name? When has he done something that radically changed you? And the idea is that God is so available and so present and wants to be so personal that as you grow, like, you're going to start have, either have a really good memory or start keeping journals because it's all over the place. 
of how he met you there and he provided for you there and he spoke to you there and he healed you there and he did some crazy stuff where he lined up this person and that person and that person for a divine appointment or a divine provision or a divine healing. I mean, the stories are supposed to get bigger and bigger and those become weapons. Where when times are tough, you can go back to those places when the enemy's accusing and he's lying and you just have you're like, whoa, wait a second. I've got weapons all over the place of these things that are like, this is undeniable. God showed up here. And the more we walk with Jesus, the more that testimony is going to get bigger, and that becomes a weapon to conquer Satan. So I'll share one quick story. We happened last night. Uh, my wife and I, as mentioned, celebrating 21 years of, of her sainthood. Uh, we went down to... La Jolla, where we uh, met at UCSD. Lots of fun places. That, that kind of feels like a spiritual pilgrimage, genuinely, because we drive around the campus and literally just like, praise God. That, God did that there. God did that there. He spoke there, et cetera, et cetera. And it's really fun. So we happened to drive around, kind of even unintentionally, and found ourselves right literally in the spot where how many years ago? 23 on April 1st, 1999, he called us into ministry. And it was one of the most clear things in the world to the point where if times got really hard and there was nothing else to hold on to, it could be like, remember that? Now, thank you, thankfully, he's gotten, you know, he's been so faithful that it doesn't feel like you have to like go to like the last spot. But it's like, this is one of those to us. It's like, this is absolutely undeniable. God spoke. God is real. God is present. He's personal. He's powerful. So we were in Mandeville Auditorium on Thursday night, April 1st, 1999, and we're sitting next to each other, and I'm supposed to go to a guy's group, you know, a little kind of accountability fellowship group right afterwards, and I have this sense of like, I don't think I'm supposed to do that today. I'm supposed to kind of maybe just go and, and have some, I'm feeling stirred up to just be alone with God. And right after the thing's over, she's like, hey, and guy hits me. She's like, I kind of feel like God spoke to me and, and that you're not supposed to go hang out with the guys tonight. He just wants to talk to you. And I was like, really? <laughs> oh, confirmation, that's good. So I go right outside and, and kind of leave everybody and just about 100 yards away from Mandeville Auditorium door, we start to get into this little forest. It happens to be this like little circle, kind of a roundabout drive thing. And I just felt like the Lord spoke as clear as day, calling you into ministry. <laughs> like, is the cafeteria still open? I, but it was just super clear, concise, no question whatsoever. It wasn't audible. It was just no question. That was not on my mind before at all. Not at all. I was going to UCSD, just going to be a good, awesome Christian businessman. Make a bunch of cash. You know, that was my plan. It's a good thing. You can do that. And then I felt like God wasn't done. So go into the forest there. And I'm like sitting there, like, all right, listen, all right, Lord, anything else you want to say? And I heard him say, you and Don are going to be a team for my glory. So I wrote that down. All right, awesome. Thumbs up. And listen a little more. Be prepared to do anything. Okay, that was an interesting one. Looking back right now, that's a very interesting one, actually. Be prepared to do anything, okay? Sitting a little more. Nothing. Kind of quiet for a while. I feel like, okay, that's good. Those are good things. <laughs> I'll go home now. So, but it was a thousand percent clear. 
No one can take that away. Even, just for me, right there. If, we stopped, if the night stopped right there, that, that is forever a part of my testimony because that was 100% real, powerful, personal, present. No one can take that away from me. You cannot convince me that it was in my head, that it, I was just having a psychological episode, that I was hungry, that I was hopeful, whatever it was. No, nope, nope. Encounter with God, period. No one can take that away. And then I go home. And, and I really wanted to talk to Dawn about that. And so I called her. And this is back before cell phones. <laughs> Crazy. So I called her dorm room, and she didn't answer. And, and I was, you know, really, you know, kind of bummed. And so I'm just kind of waiting, and God, what do I do here? And then I felt like the, after a bit, the Lord said, all right, now's the time to talk to Don. Yes. So I called her, and no answer. Okay, now I'm starting to doubt. I'm starting to doubt. My God, that, the, the same clear voice where I felt like you said all this stuff, you said call her and or talk to her. And I tried, and she's, she's not there. So, man, if this is you, you got to deliver. Like, literally, I had to wait a half a second. God, you got to deliver. And finally, the pizza guy was there. You know, so I was like, Phew. I was kidding. I opened the door, and it's her. He delivers when he says he's going to deliver. And I noticed immediately, I'm like, you are out of breath. Why are you out of breath right now? I mean, I know you're excited to see me, but why are you out of breath? And she's like, I was coming, you know, I was, I was here. I was at my mom's, and God told me to come here to come talk to you. And, and then when I was in the parking lot just a couple, you know, a minute ago, he said, run. <laughs> all right, all right. And me, the man of great faith that I am, I said, I'm telling you nothing about my night. What did God say to you? <laughs> 100% true. I was like, I don't want her copying me. There's a lot on the line. And so she proceeds to share that while she was away in her own time praying that God said he was going to call me into ministry tonight and that we were going to be a, a team for his glory. Us in a ministry. Thank you. Thank you. But the way you said it was, he's calling me into ministry and we are going to be a team for his glory. So I was like, all right. I think that's legit. That's now not just my testimony, but our testimony. That's something that now comes together in a way that, again, though, that's 20-something years ago, and God has been so faithful and real and true and personal and powerful and present, that just becomes part of that faith-building weapons now to conquer Satan, to, to just... <laughs> Get away from his lies, his accusations, his deceptions. And when you live on that testimony, then what it does is it opens you up where God just wants to do more. And let me close with this. There's this incredible passage in Revelation 19.10 that now talks about testimony, and it presses further into the potency of your testimony and how it's a weapon to conquer Satan. And it says this. The testimony of Jesus... Your story about Jesus, what he's done in your life, is the spirit of prophecy. Now, at first, that's kind of a weird verse, and you can read the whole chapter, and it starts to make a little bit more sense how actually the angel, when John started to fall down and worship the angel, the angel's like, no, don't worship me. I'm like you. We're like you. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. 
But let's just read it real quick. He says, I fell down at his feet to worship. He said, no, you must not do that. I am a fellow worshiper, a fellow servant with you and your brethren who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Don't worship me. Worship God. For the testimony about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So this, is, this angel says, no, I'm like you. I worship God, and you're like me in that you prophesy. So it's interesting. <laughs> the angel's prophesying this crazy apocalyptic vision of the end times. And he says, but I'm like you, and you're like me. We worship, and we prophesy. And what's interesting is he says, when you tell the story of Jesus, what he's done in your life, you are prophesying what God wants to do again. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, meaning there is a spiritual potency. When you tell the works of Jesus, that carries with it a spiritual power, a prophetic power. The idea is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's his nature. That's his character. So what he's done for you is not just for you. It is very personal. It's very powerful. He's very present. He's very good. But he's the same dad. He's the same good father. He's the same king of kings. He's the same healer for all of us. So when we share our story about what God has done, we're sharing about who God is. And guess what? We're speaking out a prophetic word by sharing our testimony. We're saying, this is what God is like. And so this angel is saying, that's like releasing a prophetic word for anyone who's listening. That same God is available to do the same kind of things in their life. And that's where it gets so powerful, is that our testimonies, as we speak out what God has done in our life in various situations, what we are doing is releasing at the same time, we're worshiping Jesus, we're cutting through the lies and accusations of the enemy, and we are releasing prophetic words. We're releasing invitations to everyone listening that this is who God is, and this is how he wants you to know him. So we never look at testimonies as like, oh, wow, God thinks that one's his favorite and only does that kind of stuff for him. No. It's, wow, God does that for them? Wow, that's who God is. That's the kind of stuff God wants to do for me. Amen. So to conquer Satan in the end times when he's wreaking havoc, we get to know, we do the good work of, it's like the spiritual inventory of having right here like weapons. These are the things God has done. This is what God's done in my marriage. This is what God's done with my kids. This is what God's done in here. This is how God's transformed my heart. This is how God's freed me from anxiety. This is what God's done in my identity. This is how God's provided financially. I mean, our stories should be growing, 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 and we have them as weapons to fight with every day, and then we release them when the time is right, when there's an invitation there, and anytime you hear testimony, know that the spirit of prophecy is in the room. The spirit of God is there to confirm to you, hey, you like that testimony? Guess what? That's who I am. I want to do it for you. That's the kind of stuff the Bible's saying that will make us in the end times, no matter how hard it gets, how, amazing, how, how crazy the world gets, on those weapons, we will conquer Satan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that you are so good, you're so personal, you're so present and powerful, God. We thank you that you have given us the weapons of warfare to be able to conquer Satan. By the blood of the Lamb, 
and the word of the testimony of what you have done, are doing, and will do in our lives. Thank you that you have made us to walk victorious, conquering the enemy. Lord, we pray that you would seal these things in our hearts. Fill us with faith. Fill us with growing clarity about all the different ways you've changed our lives. We pray for divine appointments and opportunities to share testimony with one another and the world around us to release the hope of Jesus. And when we hear testimonies, Lord, may we not get spiritually envious, but may we just get spiritually hungry and say, thank you, Jesus, that that's who you are, what you're like, and that's the kind of stuff you want to do in my life. I want to um, share just a quick image for us to just kind of take with us this week um, to help us to remember and live out this verse. So last night, as Casey and I were driving home late from our anniversary date, um, we were talking about, you know, the message and what it was going to be today. And I felt like God gave me this really awesome image as he was, as we were talking about the power of the testimony. So I saw this picture of a person, you know, like us, sharing a testimony. And um, you know the yellow brick road from, you know, the Wizard of Oz? I saw this picture of as our words were speaking out the testimony, it was like a, it was a golden road, like the yellow brick road, but it was like golden bricks. And it was literally being laid out tangibly from our mouths. And then I saw Jesus, mighty Jesus. It's like, you know, his will comes to earth through our agreement, through our partnering with him. And as we spoke and laid out this testimony, this beautiful golden road was laid out. And then I saw Jesus like a mighty warrior, just like throwing weapons and bringing, you know, I mean, he was doing everything. Everything from Zephaniah 3, singing over us, being the mighty man in war. He was conquering the enemy. But it was just this amazing visual image of the power of the testimony that's 100% biblical. The power of the testimony is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy is foretelling what God is going to do again. His power, his wonders, his goodness. So as we praise him for those things, as we shout those things out as weapons of warfare, as we shout out the testimony, even at the problems that the enemy is currently, you know, brewing over and, you know, that he's got on his little cauldron making, you know, we're just, we sing out and declare the testimony. This is who he is. This is who my God is. And we've got that it's like that golden road of heaven gets laid out with our words, and he runs down it. Now, the other thing that I felt like God really highlighted to me, our testimony is powerful. Our words partner with the kingdom. So what are we partnering with? Negativity. Are we? Now, I'm not saying that we can't be honest. You know, we can talk about the way that, um, honestly, our government is partnering with the enemy. But if we leave it there, all we're doing is partnering with the enemy. You know, you can have a gift of discernment, but if you have a gift of discernment and all you do is call out the work of the devil, you're only partnering with the enemy and building his kingdom. What do we do? We look to Jesus. How does he see them? What does he say over them? Who did he create them to be? What does he want to do? And we sing and we praise and we call that out. We don't want our testimony and our words to be laying 
the pathway for the enemy to go run and do more work. Amen. Dance like David